I uh, was in Idlewild, California last weekend. You know where that is? I'd never been there before, uh, not too far from Palm Springs, Palm Desert. Uh, Phil, do we have a picture of my friend? I don't know if you can see that. Um, I'm going to shut the lights off so you can appreciate what I did. Can you see that? That's a one-of-a-kind trike. Uh, It's got a Porsche Carrera S motor in the back, and you don't typically see that. That motorcycle has striven, uh, traveled the nation, striven the nation, (laughs) traveled the nation. And uh, that's my new friend, James Tucker. Um, I wanted to ride on the back, but it didn't work out. But, um, you know, Saturday I was in Idlewild. I was at a men's retreat, and uh, we were talking about moral integrity and uh, spent a little time at the coffee shop, and James rolled up in that, and obviously that is my form of therapy and refreshing motorized vehicles, and, and, I, and I show you his picture because he is a spiritual man, but untethered when it relates to the truth. The guy that helped him develop that one-of-a-kind motorcycle uh, was a Mormon, and he was describing his close relationship to him, and that Mormon uh, went into eternity, and he was privileged, and I guess this is a special honor to be a part of the internment ceremony in Salt Lake City, so... He went to Salt Lake, held the hand of the widow and his uh, daughter, uh, the deceased daughter, and uh, he talked to me about how meaningful that moment was and how special it was, and we got to talking about reality of eternity, and uh, I said, so so James, you say you're, you're a spiritual man, what defines your spirituality? I mean, how do you know that what you think you know is true? Because truth is reality. It's not true if it deviates from from what reality is. So how are you going to know what that is? Here your friend goes off into eternity. How do you know how that played out? How do you know how that works out? And uh, he said, I I don't know. And we talked about the, the Bible, the gift of God, the Bible, which is the what? The revelation of reality. I had driven up to Idlewood on Friday night. I had a flat tire on the, the 10. How's that for a day? So you rent a car, you have a flat, you're six hours trying to figure out how to get repaired because this is not a car that has a spare. And uh, so anyway, I, go, I drive up those mountain roads in the dark. Do you know what got me to Taquez Pines? The GPS. Whatever that thing is talking, that's what did it. <laughs> The GPS. David, are you trying to help me out this morning? The GPS. And I said to David, or James, I said, James, I, I wouldn't have gotten here last night without an accurate, an accurate tool to help me know the way. I needed to know the true way, not just a way, not just somebody's good advice, because it was dark. I had nowhere, no idea where I was going. I said, that's what the Bible is. The Bible is God's divine GPS, helping you know where you are and how to get where you need to go. It's authoritative. The Bible's true, and it has authority over you. We had the best conversation out of that. He's a uh, high-end home theater guy. He put in Bob Hope's home theater. He put in Phyllis Diller's. Do these names mean anything to you? You've got to be a little older. Um, 
but he's a, he's a performance guy, and we had the best conversation around the truth, and we exchanged cars at the end. He let me take his picture cards at the end, and uh, not cars. <laughs> uh, we exchanged cards at the end, and uh, he said, Harry, I'll be in touch. We, I want to talk some more. And I wanted to share that with you just as a punctuator to say, wherever God puts you, wherever you are, and with whom ever you are with. You have access to the truth that people need. And leverage your passions. Obviously, this is mine, not trikes, but motorized things. Leverage your passions so that people who don't know have the opportunity to know. Because God has equipped you, because you're a part of this church, and he's gifted you with the truth and the gospel. God has called you to be a gospel ambassador wherever you are, with whomever you are with. Can you say amen to that? So that's just a a punctuation of a reminder because whatever happened at the retreat, I'm thankful for. But I'm most thankful, frankly, for a divine appointment at a coffee shop with someone who doesn't know the truth, who needs to know the truth. And I just wanted to remind you to pay attention, heads up, eyes open, look for the opportunity. People need to know that God is real, Jesus is Lord, the Bible's the truth, and it has authority over us, and it gives direction to our life, and it's the way to freedom. Amen? You're a little quiet today. That should be a hearty amen. amen. I, if I was at an, uh, uh, an African-American church, I'd say, do I have a witness? <laughs> do you agree with me? Yeah, thank you, Donald. <laughs> All right, let me turn the lights back on. James chapter 1. All right, James chapter 1. This will be the, Lord willing, final installment on this aspect of biblical Christianity. We're talking real Christianity. That's what James is. This is how a real Christian lives and thinks. This is the lifestyle and convictions of a biblical Christian. You can claim faith and not have faith. If you have genuine faith, this is what it looks like. This is how it lives. This is how it behaves. This is the centerpiece of this section, James chapter 1, verse 26, which is where we are this morning in our third installment of what I'm going to call religion seen in reality. Because James says you've got to see religion in reality for it to be legitimate. Verse 26. I'm just going to punctuate because I've taught this verse in detail, but I want to start at the foundation of our thinking today as we unpack its application. Verse 26, if anyone thinks, now anyone is non-restrictive, doesn't matter who you are or how religious or well-known, doesn't matter. It's an indefinite pronoun. If anyone thinks, which is to have a dogmatic perspective, not just kind of thinks, He's convinced. He has a true, strong, personal opinion. If anyone thinks himself, thinks is regular, it's the way he looks at his world and himself. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, a reminder, the word religious is not just clothing that looks religious. It's used one time in the New Testament. It has to do with someone who's a sincere God-fearer, a sincere and pious worshiper. In other words, they're, they're... aiming at and looking because they think it to be true, that they are committedly religious. They are demonstratively religious. If anyone thinks, 
himself to be religious, a Christian in our context. And yet, here's the contradicting reality, despite the claim and the belief in the head, and yet does not bridle his own tongue. Bridle means what you would think it means. It's not restrained. It's uncontrolled, like a bit or a bridle in a horse's mouth. He has an unbridled tongue. If he does not bridle his own, not someone else's, but his own tongue, the instrument by which you speak words, and I want to add to that, no matter the medium, text, email, Facebook, etc., if you do not manage or control or restrain his own tongue, but deceives himself, present active participle, he deceives himself, he, he, he lures himself into believing that his thoughts about his religiosity coupled with his claims of religiosity are legitimate. I'm a Christian. I'm claiming I'm a Christian. And if I don't bridle my tongue, I, I self-deceive. It's one thing to deceive another person. It's another thing to deceive your own heart. Not others, he deceives his own heart. And this man, his religion is what? Worthless. Worthless. No value, no benefit, no purpose, no basis. It's vain, it's unproductive, and get this, it's not real. His religion has no reality. It's a real claim, it's a real conviction. I'm a Christian, but because I don't bridle my tongue as a pattern of my life, no governing strength on my tongue, I deceive myself if I think I'm a religious person when in fact I'm not a religious person. That kind of religion, it's empty, unproductive. In other words, it's not genuine faith. All right, let me put it bottom line. Real religion must be seen in reality, and the first reality comes because you control your tongue. If the pattern of your life is a lack of tongue control, I'm not saying perfection. We all stumble in many ways, James says, chapter 3. You have to be a perfect man or a mature man to control this instrument. But if the pattern of your life is unbridled speech, uncontrolled speech, your religion is empty and vain. That's the truth James is declaring. So real Christians have a religion seen in reality. They walk their worship, number one, by controlling their tongue. So the question is, what do you bridle your tongue from? What are the categories that a Christian must exercise self-control? And we're on the 10th one today. So if you're jumping in today, this is the last installment out of 10. You bridle your tongue from what? Number one, much speech. You talk too much. Number two, rash speech. Words without enough thought. We would call it unfiltered speech. You bridle your tongue from hurtful words, number three, words that are retaliatory. You don't return evil for evil or insult for insult, First Peter chapter 3. You restrain your tongue from manipulative words, deceptive words, tricky words, words that look affirming than in fact, and when in fact they're hurtful. Number five, you bridle your tongue from destructive words. 
words that tear down the soul and the spirit. This is Ephesians 4.29. Only words that edify and build up. Number six, also Ephesians 4.29. You bridle your tongue from what I've called grace-stealing words. Only words are you allowed to speak that minister grace to those who hear. Let no corrupt communication, rotten, spoiled speech, proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as builds up and is according to the need of the moment. It's timely, and it gives grace to those who hear. So what do you bridle? Grace-stealing words, words that steal the joy of God's favor. That's what grace is, and words that destroy or steal the delight of God's grace. Number seven. Bridle these words, crass and cuss words. This is Ephesians 5, 4. There should not be any filthiness. And that's by definition offensive speech, offensive by way of the culture doesn't even accept it. It calls it inappropriate. It is what we would call cuss words, crass cuss words. Christians ought not to cuss, period. It is not fitting. Ephesians 5, 4. Verse 8, or number 8, rather. Bridle your speech with regard, Ephesians 5, 4, stupid speech. It's silly talk, defined as empty words from an empty head, defined as lightweight words or making weighty words light. You treat big things as if they're not important, and you talk about stuff that isn't important. Silly. Number nine, the ninth thing that we've studied to see that we ought to bridle our tongue with regard to Ephesians 5, 4, coarse jesting, sexually suggestive speech. This is wit with wantonness. This is off-color words. This is double entendre. This is innuendo. You say one thing, but it houses a suggestive meaning. These things, Paul says, are not fitting. My tongue should reflect who I am. If the pattern of my speech does not reflect my Christianity, my Christianity is hollow. Number 10, today's subject. Turn over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Number 10, bridle, control, pay attention to, restrict and restrain these words, gossip and slander. I'm going to define this as negative speech. True or not true that you pass on. The passing on would be biblically tale-bearing, storytelling, and it's destructive. Here's the way one writer put it. Good book called Resisting Gossip. This is that, his definition, and I liked it, so I'm going to quote it. Gossip and slander is bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. Gossip and slander is bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. It's negative speak. True or not true that you pass on in a destructive manner which results in a destructive outcome. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 19. 
Paul talking to the Corinthian church all this time, he writes, you've been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we've been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding. In other words, this is primarily not about self-defense. This is about elevating, supporting, and building you up. Now watch what he says. Verse 20. For I am afraid. Now the word afraid is a word which means I'm, I'm, I'm deeply alarmed. I'm seized with concern. It's the same word used of Peter when he was sinking. He's walking on the water. He sees the waves, and it says he was seized with fear. He was overcome with fear. So this is not just I'm afraid, like, boy, I hope this doesn't happen. This is deeply concerning to me. I am afraid. In other words, this would be a worst-case scenario in my mind that perhaps when I come, Paul coming to the Corinthians, I may find you to be not what I wish. Now, the word wish is also not a light word. I, the last thing I would want for you is the way we would say it. I'm afraid, in other words, this is a big deal. It, 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 I'm alarmed by this, that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish. The last thing I would want to hear about you. That's what he's saying in verse 20. And may be found by you to not be what you would wish, which is him saying, I'm coming then as a consequence of what you are and me finding what I'm hoping not to find. You see me in a way that you would prefer not to see me, which is as a disciplinarian, as a confronter. As Paul the powerful saying, that's not acceptable. Verse 20, that, that perhaps there may be strife, jealousy, anger, tempers, disputes, slanderers, there's our word, another word, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you. In other words, everything that I had hoped for about you, I've invested my life in you, is going to be that hope exploded by the reality of what I discover. And what I discover, and I'm really alarmed by this, and that is that these things are characteristic of you. Strife, jealousy, anger, tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. I'm afraid that I may, when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you, and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in, this, in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. Now listen, all of these things can involve the tongue except the things in verse 21 which are blatantly involved with immorality and impurity. Basically, a worst-case scenario is when I get there, I find something, listen to me, that's blatantly contradictory to the reason I've invested the gospel in you because you're not living it. And that's bad for you, and that's going to be really bad for me. My longing and my desire, my fear is you don't live up to the Christianity 
that ought to be reflective of biblical Christianity, gospel Christianity. It's not what I would want. It's not what I would wish. And all these concerns, verse 19, are that are inappropriate for Christian conduct can be the display can be displayed by the tongue, but two are explicitly verbal: slanderers and gossip. For Paul, this would be a severe cause for alarm, one of the last things he would want to see or hear about regarding the Corinthian church. The last thing he would want to hear about is that somehow they changed the name of the church. Be like our church, Grace Community Church. Let's, Pastor John goes away, he comes back, we've changed the name. You know what the new name is? Gossip Community Church. <laughs> he would hate that. That's what Paul's saying about the Corinthians. I would hate it. I'm afraid for this. This is not my desire. Why? Because slandering and gossip, one of these words or two of these categories, are blatantly inconsistent and contradictory. They ought not to be that way. So why do we do it? Anybody think gossip and slander is good? Anybody want to stand and make a case for that? Of course not. So why do we do it? I'm going to argue two things. Number one is, number one, we don't realize we do it when we do it often. Secondly, we treat it as if it's no big deal. One, we don't always recognize what it is. And number two, we treat it as if it's no big deal. I want to begin today by talking about what it is so you know when you're doing it. And you can bridle your tongue when you hear yourself entering into it. And as a good brother or sister, you can assist your allies, family, and friends when they move into this zone. Because you know what this is? Unacceptable. What it is, here's a dictionary definition. The definitionary definition of a gossip is someone who reveals personal information about others. A gossip is defined as the private information about others shared in conversation or print. That's the dictionary. Let me give you an illustration. A friend who passes on the secrets of other friends but asks you not to tell it. That's an example of gossip. Biblically, gossip is talking and listening. Biblically, gossip involves talking and listening. Listen to this. It is sharing, communicating, and transmitting stories. These stories flow in both directions, the talking and the listening. Listen to Proverbs 20, verse 19. A gossip betrays a confidence. That's the talking. Proverbs 17, 4, wrongdoers eagerly listen to gossip. Liars pay close attention to slander. In other words, they have a, an ear for it. Let me put it this way, and again, using a good definition, I think. Biblically, sinful gossip, gossip is bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart and listening to that news. Three things about gossip. Number one, it involves bearing bad news. You're entering into the zone of gossip when it involves negative speak. The content of sinful gossip is never neutral. 
it is always bad news. I'm going to give you three ways it's bad. Number one, it's bad information sometimes. Sharing things that are not true. This would be rumor or hearsay. That's wrong. If you know it's false, it's not gossip, that's when it becomes slander. I know it's wrong and I'm going to share it anyway. Ever had your reputation injured by bad information that someone spread about you? The Bible says a false witness will not go unpunished and he who pours out lies will not go free. False witness can be bad information. I'll give you an example. I thought he got a DUI. I thought his wife left him because. You get the story wrong. I was just talking with someone today at Grace Church. I was telling him what I'd heard about him, and he said, that's not true. I said, really? He said, yeah, let me correct your story. Well, had that story been communicated, and I heard it from a credible source, I thought it was true because they thought it was true. But it wasn't true. It was bad information. And if it's bad news because it's bad information, do you know who that's on? You. Like what you see in the news. We see a lot of this. Bad news stories without what? Validation. Have we ever been in an era with such poor reporting? bad news and unverified. And it usually begins with the words, I heard. Rumor and unverified hearsay. Gossip involves one category of bad is bad info. I'm repeating something that's not accurate to the truth. Number two, it's bad because it's bad news. It's negative. The content and subject matter involves negative truth, shameful truth, bad news about someone. It might be true, but it's bad news about someone and about something they have done. Most people tend to think that if the news is true, sharing it is not gossip. That is not true. Gossip is spreading true but shameful news about someone. Biblically, this is Genesis 37 2. It dibna, it is a bad report. Genesis 37 2, Joseph, when he was 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with his brothers, and Joseph brought back a bad report. About whom? His brothers. To whom? His father. Now listen, that report was probably true but it was a bad report. Let me give you an example. One of your neighbors loses his job or his son flunks out of school. You share that. Well, guess what? You don't have to share that. It's bad news. It's hurtful news. It involves things that are negative that don't need to be said. You don't have to and you should not talk about those kinds of things with your friends. It's a bad report. It does not build up or minister grace to the hearer. Here's the word for it, biblical tail-bearing. That Hebrew word has to do with somebody who trafficked in goods. 
They go from town to town bearing wares, and the wares that they bear are not things they sell. They are those choice morsels which they share, the tales they share that go down into the innermost parts of the belly. It's gossip. That's why Proverbs says such words are choice morsels. That is to say they are hard to resist. They are hard to resist, and they are hurtful. They go down into the belly. You want a belly ache, really? Take in the kind of words that are hurtful. They are appetizing to our carnal palate and like a punch in the stomach. Bad news, bad information, bad subject, shameful truth, hurtful truth. Category number three, bad news. It's bad news because, listen to this, it's wickedly projected, which is to say it's badly motivated. Turn over to Psalm 41. I want to read to you from this psalm, a portion of it, where David reflects on bad news wickedly projected or badly motivated. It's true, and someone takes the truth and they manipulate it to hurtful outcomes. I'm going to read from the ESV because it's more pointed in terms of the words it chooses. But the NASB is also accurate. But listen to this. This is David dealing. He got really sick. And his enemies start to rejoice. And they start to gossip about his sickness, his illness, his life situation and condition. Verse 5. Watch the words. My enemies say of me in malice. There's the heart attitude highlighted spite, injury, intent to harm. When will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words, hollow words. Contextually meaning he, his facade is, I care about you. But in fact, there's malicious intent in his visit because verse 6 goes on to say, while his heart gathers iniquity, he gathers information, sinful slander. He's, he's figuring out what he can say by observing my negative circumstances because he wants to take that and bear that negative tale somewhere else to my harm. Look at verse 6. He gather, his heart gathers iniquity when he goes out. He tells it abroad. That's gossip. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. So you got hate, you got malice, you've got manipulative intent. Verse 8, this is what they say. A deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Bad news projected out of malice to put him down, to step on him when he's down. Verse 9, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. How did he do that? He took my real life reality and he projected it in a way that was harmful to me in my circumstances. He didn't help me up. He communicated things that were injurious to me. Two-faced, 
these visitors feigned concern. And then when they talk to others, they forecast and project to put someone down while they're down. Painted in the worst possible light. I'm going to give you an example. She's going to get kicked out of school. Her husband's going to leave her. They're going to lose their house. You know, it's the stuff we say that may be true, but it, it's damaging, and the motive behind it is injurious. Gossip includes all bad news projected and meant to diminish, especially when it's done about those who trust you. Gossip number one is sharing bad info. Gossip number two is sharing bad true news. Gossip involves bad motivation in sharing that bad news because gossip is sharing bad news, which leads me to the second aspect of gossip, behind someone's back. The real Christian must bridle their tongue from sharing or bearing bad news talking about bad things behind someone's back. Listen to Proverbs 20, verse 19. He who reveals secrets. Now, what are secrets? Secrets are things that should not be revealed. That's why they're a secret. Hey, can I tell you a secret? Can you keep this to yourself? What is that person expecting you to do? Keep it to yourself. But a gossip is one who reveals secrets He who reveals secrets is a constant gossip. Avoid the one who babbles with his lips. And what babbling is, you talk a lot. We would say you've got a big mouth. Avoid some, listen, if somebody's telling you stuff about someone else, guess what happens when you're not with them? They do that somewhere else. Stay away from that person. Doesn't take a rocket scientist of observational maturity to go, you know what? This guy talks a lot about you. I wonder if he talks like that about me. Answer, yes. Yes, he does. Yes, she does. Stay away from them because they're revealers of secrets. Proverbs eleven thirteen: a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. Bridle your tongue before you talk or before you continue to talk about someone not present. Ask yourself these questions. Let me give you some practical thoughts. Would I say this if they were here? Be honest. Would I receive the bad news about her in the same way if she was present? Am I hiding this conversation from someone? Would I want someone else to talk this way about me if I were not in the room? Bad news behind someone's back is gossip. Boy, I sure hope I don't find that in you when I show up, Paul said. It would break my heart. It would humiliate me. It's not right. And it won't be good for you because I'll have to address it. Now listen, let me just give you a little bit of a caveat. If you're a parent, teacher, elder, friend, teammate, somebody's in a destructive place, there is a necessity to deal with negative news privately. It all has to do with the motivation. Is this conversation constructive? Listen, if you're dealing with spiritual disciplines and 
things of that nature, you're trying to help somebody out, surely you're going to have a conversation. When people come up to me and ask me, hey, can you keep this confident? I said, well, it depends. It depends on whether we're going to deal with this in a biblical way. Whatever it is you're going to tell me, I'm happy to keep it a secret as long as we deal with it in a biblical way. But I will not keep this confidence if we're not going to deal with this in a biblical way. Don't tell me. If you're telling me so that we can help someone deal with something, then I'm happy to hear it and I'm happy to coach. And secondly, don't think you have to give me a name. Give me a scenario. Constructive, helpful purpose is to do what God would want done in that person's life. There are times where you have to talk about things when someone's not there, but the goal is not malicious, harmful, and hurtful. And be careful, your heart's deceptive. Hey, pray about Harry. You know, Karen just doesn't, she's struggling with him. He works too much. He's snippy at home. Pray for her. Okay, now that can sound constructive. Prayer, constructive, yes. Hurtful to me? Sure. So be careful on the ways that you do that because gossip is something that leaks out of our carnal heart. Let me get you to the third thing. A third aspect of gossip and what you must control. Sharing bad things behind someone's back as a reflection of a bad heart. Turn over to Matthew chapter 12. Verse 33. Here's Jesus on the realities of the tongue and the heart. He's talking to his adversarial opposing pharisaical accusers who are accusing him of being linked to the enemy. And he says this in verse 33 to them, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. In other words, you've got to be consistent. You're you're saying I'm from Beelzebul, but then you're saying I do miracles and good things. Which am I? You've got to make a call. And you are claiming you're good, but your behavior's bad. You've got to be honest about that because trees... They are either good and they bear good fruit. Be consistent. Make it good or make it bad. But be consistent. That's the essence of that statement. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? In other words, not possible. Here's why. For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure, heart treasure, what is good. The evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they will give an accounting for in the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. You'll be either validated by your words or invalidated by your words. You'll either be shown to be a good tree with good fruit because the fruit of your words validate the fruit of the tr- or the reality and the identity of the tree. Because words come out of your heart. He says it again in Matthew chapter 15, a few pages over. For out of the heart 
It's not the stuff you eat that defiles you. It's out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. Where does slander come from? Out of the heart. All talk is heart talk. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If it's destructive, if it's bad news, badly motivated, it's coming out of a bad heart. Be honest. If it's evil words, you're an evil tree. If it's good words, it's a good tree. And again, I'm talking about the pattern of your life. Gossip is bad news coming from a bad heart. That's why the morsels are choice. That's why people want to eat it. It feeds their carnal palate. It's like food to our carnality and our pride. If you look, if you like hearing those morsels, it's illuminating. It's sinfulness and it's corruption in our heart, and we want to feed it. So here's what you need to ask when you're tempted to Say bad news or hear bad news. Ask, why am I saying this? Why am I listening to this? Why am I attracted to this? Turn over to Proverbs 26, and I want to highlight some clues to the heart style of the gossip and the damage of unbridled words. (laughs) Somebody said if we didn't gossip, we wouldn't have anything to talk about. Listen, I want to plant the flag big, bold, and undeniable. You do not bridle your tongue from bad news behind someone's back out of your bad heart. You're not a Christian. That's what James says. And if it's periodic or frequent, you're a bad Christian because this is not fitting for a Christian. Can you say amen to that? Proverbs chapter 26, verse 18. Like a madman. Got that image? Insane madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death. I heard some guy was driving along the freeway, recent fire in the Santa Clarita area, and the, the sheriff said this guy was lighting pieces of paper and throwing them out along the roadway. That's this guy. He's a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death. So is the man. This madman is the man who deceives his own neighbor and says, was I not joking? In other words, he's, he says things that, that don't reveal, or he says things that reveal his heart. He just denies what it reveals. He's a deceiver with his tongue. I was just kidding. Verse 20. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. What's the wood for the fire? Where there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. Because negative speak fuels strife. Negative speak is like lit pieces of paper that ignite and fuel destructive fire. 
Verse 21, like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to to kindle strife. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels. They go down into the innermost parts of the belly or the body. Like an earthen vessel overlaid with silver dross. In other words, they're basic, but they've got this outward facade. They look prim and respectable. They look honorable and trustworthy, but they're not. Our burning lips and a wicked heart. He who hates, that's the heartbeat of a whisperer, a slanderer, a gossip, a madman who deceives his neighbor with his words. He who hates disguises it with his lips, but he lays up deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, do not believe him. There are seven abominations in his heart. And though his hatred covers itself with guile, his wickedness will, not, will be revealed in the assembly. He who digs a pit will fall into it, a verbal pit. He who rolls a stone, it will come back on him. A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works ruin. You know what flattery is? It means to inflate. It means to tell somebody what they want to hear so you can get what you want. It's self-centered. This is all about hateful speech, malicious speech that parades itself as supportive speech. The clues of the heart style of the gossip is unbridled words with unmeasurable destruction. So tell me, how bad is that? Turn over to Psalm 15. We'll wrap up with a couple of these verses. Cornerstone, this ought to be a safe place because people can share things of the heart and entrust them to you. They may not even be able to guard their own best interest, but you should guard it. When somebody's injured and in difficult places, they're, they're venting, if you will, they're sharing their reality, be a trusted Christian brother or sister and protect them by how you deal with what they share with you. Guard it. Because one of the great joys of the Christian community is the fellowship we can share rooted in a trust that's driven by a mutual love and an overarching interest in what's best for my brother or sister. No negative words that are motivated to injure. No words, bad words behind someone's back to the end that they might enjoy the benefit of trusted Christian community. All right, Psalm 15. This is a Psalm of David. Here's the question, verse 1. O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? Here's that boiled down. Who gets to hang with you? Who can enjoy intimate communion with you? Who, with whom will you enjoy or will you allow to enjoy fellowship in your presence? Verse 2, he who walks with integrity, he who works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. Verse 3, watch these words. 
he who does not slander. The word slander here is a Hebrew word which means go about on foot. It's translated in other places as you're a spy. Like you, you see things and then you take what you see back and you report it. Someone who slanders is someone who sees and goes somewhere else to report it. Who gets to be in the presence of God? He who does not go about on foot with gossip and slander with his tongue, nor does evil. I take that to be in this context, oral evil. In other words, out of your mouth evil. He does, nor does evil to his neighbor. Now watch this one. Nor takes up a reproach. So you've got the tail bearer can't play with God and the tail hearer cannot be in the presence of God. When you take up a reproach, you're hearing it and you're tainted and affected by it. The tail hearer is the person who listens to the bad report and that bad report stains and taints another person's reputation. By Harry listening, to it, my perspective about someone else can change. By listening to it, the way I view someone can become a reproach regarding them that I now carry. You don't take up a reproach, which means you don't just, it means more than you don't just repeat it. You hear it and are affected by it. You do not take up a reproach against his friend. I think that's a key word. Friend is someone you are committed to, someone that believes they can trust you. Friend can be committed against, this is something that can be committed against someone close to you, someone that trusts you, and then when they trust you, they entrust stuff to you. Let me tell you what God doesn't like. You're not going to fellowship with me. We're not going to enjoy communion and intimacy. You know why, Harry? Because you traffic in words that injure. You traffic in tales. And you're the recipient of hearing those tales. They taint the reputation of that individual. And you're a bad friend. Because the person entrusting that data to you believes they're safe with you. And you know what? They ought to be. Is gossip and slander bad? I'll tell you how bad. No intimacy and communion with the king of everything. Fellowship is broken. I'm not saying you're, you're kicked out of the kingdom. I'm saying access to the king and intimacy with the king is affected by that. If you're a Christian... If you have the truly religious heartbeat of a God-fearer, this is what you would say. This is Psalm 101, verse 5. Whoever slanders his neighbor, neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Now listen, I'm not saying go home, get a gun, and destroy somebody. I'm saying deal with them. Listen, Romans 1, 28 talks about about the list of consequences that come from denying God, exchanging the glory of God for lesser things. The irreligious 
applaud slander. The religious deal with it. They destroy it. Listen to Romans 1.28. Furthermore, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. Talking about the person who, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Furthermore, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. This is the irreligious. God gave them up to a depraved mind. You know this passage. To do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness. Some of this you'll expect. Evil greed, hatred. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. You'd expect that. But listen to the every kind of wickedness as the list continues. It's demonstrated they are gossips. They are slanderers. They are God-haters. They are insolent, arrogant, and boastful. And then the list goes on to say, or at the end of this section, it says, even though they know these things are worthy of death, think about that, they not only do them, but they give hearty approval to those who do. So you got the religious guy saying, I'm not going to stand for that bad behavior. You got the irreligious guy saying, I not only do it, I applaud it, even though I know that it is worthy of death. Cornerstone, daily ask God to help you bridle your tongue. It matters. Psalm 141, verse 3, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch at the door of my lips. Daily resolve, Psalm 39, 1, I will watch my ways so that I will not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle, especially when the wicked are present. That's an interesting statement. About that time, I guess. <laughs> I got our, a warning system. <laughs> Real Christians demonstrate their religion in reality. And one of the ways you display it is the way you control your tongue. Amen? Father, this is a big get. It helps us or it hurts us. It honors you or it dishonors you. It's our strong and heartfelt desire that you would set a watch over our lips. You would quicken our conscience through the study we've shared to the end that our mouth may reflect your honor and glory, that the wicked who are present will hear words that are life-giving and fragrant, words that honor you, that are fitting for one who claims you. That's our prayer, and to that end, we ask your help and one another's help. In Jesus' name, amen.